Welcome to Triple Threat Theater. Triple Threat Theater. Triple Threat Theater. However, I believe there is a more immediate threat. Thousands and thousands of feet of film consumed. Hours and hours of work expended by technicians. And once it's been erased and shredded, it can be done all over again. As all of you know, I've devoted much of my life to convincing the world that travel through film was not only possible, but necessary to survive. After a harrowing six weeks off, we're back. It's time for Triple Threat Theater, episode 13, and my name is Ryan Miller. And I'm Joe Daxberger. Are you all uh, rested after the break, Dax? Oh, yep. Ready to go. <laughs> all worked out. You know, stretched back from hiatus. <laughs> this is, of course, all uh, bullshit because we're recording this two weeks after the last episode. Oh, oh. <laughs> just, just banking them and making sure we have stuff ready to go and oh, uh, keep Peek that schedule behind the board. curtain. Yeah. <laughs> but <clears throat> what was two weeks for us was six weeks for everyone mm-hmm. else. Um, hopefully, we didn't lose any nah. of our few listeners to some sort of protest to our uh, delay in releasing this episode. But um, no, they love us, Millsy. Yeah. Yeah. Keep them coming back for more. But, uh, you know, we may have recorded this episode right after the last episode of season one, but um, in the future, from right now as we're recording, I can see that that extra three weeks is going to be nice to have for post-production and uh, other stuff related to the show, so. I concur, Doctor. Yeah. Hopefully it wasn't too hard for anybody. Yeah, that'll be fine. Welcome back, friends. Yes, yes, welcome back. And uh, is everyone ready to find out what uh, the theme for this episode is, titled Fire in the Sky? Lucky number 13. (laughs) As I mentioned at the end of uh, episode 12, no alien abductions of any kind. Uh, (laughs) Why don't you reveal for us, Dexberger, what exactly that title means? Oh, don't mind if I do. Fire in the Sky. You've got Dragonheart, Reign of Fire, and How to Train Your Dragon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Fire in the Sky makes sense now, doesn't it? Sure does. <laughs> um, I believe Milsey. this episode was my idea. It was. Um, I don't remember exactly how I came up with it, but I've been wanting to rewatch Dragonheart for many years. I haven't seen it since the theater until now. Wow. And that was my, I think that was my main inspiration. Also, Reign of Fire is one of those movies that I don't have super fond memories of, but I always think like, man, that movie's got to be more awesome than I remember. It's got Christian Bale and Matthew McConaughey. Mm-hmm. And dragons. You love dragons, yeah. And Mills. dragons. That's what, that's what this is all about. <laughs> yeah, and it's like post-apocalyptic. Yeah. And then how can you have a dragon-themed episode in this day and age without How to Train Your Dragon in there, so. Right. Something for everybody. I would say this is our second cross-genre trifecta i believe the the first being uh three linked movies but of different genres Mm, fair enough i i'm looking over the list i think the only other one could maybe be role models over the top road to perdition real steel (laughs) maybe yeah all shockingly similar stories but in different sub genres Mm -hmm. because yeah this one 
You I know, mean, Dra- Dragon Heart's like your family action adventure. Mm-hmm. I would of... also kind of say How to Train Your Dragon is too, though. I feel like those two are kind of close. They're pretty close. I'll give Honestly, you that. Dragon Heart, watching it. Is there another movie that you can think of from that same time period, like mid '90s, that I could be confusing Dragon Heart with? With another talking dragon? Another dragon movie, at least, whether or not it was talking. Hmm. Nothing's jumping to me. Yeah, I don't know if I'm nuts, but like, I know that I saw a movie in the theater <laughs> mm-hmm. that was a dragon-themed movie. Had to have been this. I, I should have done the due diligence and researched this a little bit, but uh, um, like the one or two images I had in my head of the movie, I didn't really see and recall when I watched mm-hmm. this. Mm-hmm. And the story was a complete mystery to me. Like I, I didn't remember like any of the stuff in it. But then again, it has been, when did this come out? 96? Yeah. Has been a long time <laughs> since You're... I've seen it, if I did indeed see it. Oh, so you're not even positive you saw it in the theater? Well, that's the thing. What else could it have been? It had to have been this. Hmm. Right? I mean, yeah. <laughs> like I say, I, I didn't I didn't do the due diligence and research it like that's I should fine. have. I mean, we'll we'll roll with it. I'm working under the assumption I've seen Dragonheart before. Millsy. Yeah. Do you have a fondness for dragons? In general. Uh, not really. Like I wouldn't take, say so. Take them or leave them? Yeah. Okay. All right. I feel like I'm more of a specific dragon kind of guy. Like, I'll, oh. like, the certain dragon I might like, certain dragon, like, typical dragon, don't really care. Ooh, what's one you, you might like? Smaug? Uh, yeah, I like Smaug. Um, okay. I mean, like in film there's not like a like like take lord of the rings for example um since you just brought up smaug um like smaug is a typical looking dragon like dragons you know there is variation but they all have basically the same features and it feels like if you're going to really feature a dragon like as the main character one of the main characters in dragon heart or as the villains in reign of fire you're going to go for a pretty typical look for a dragon like what everyone kind of imagines a dragon to look like mm-hmm. but comparatively um i don't remember the name of them but there's some kind of creature that the ring wraiths fly around on in the second two lord of the rings movies mm. that are winged i'm assuming that they're technically dragons but their head is almost like this long snake or worm thing yeah and they just look different and like i'm i'm kind of into that the same way that, you know, I've always said that I like monster movies, but especially when I was younger, I wasn't into like Dracula and Frankenstein as much because they're just like typical old, quote unquote, boring monsters. Mm-hmm. Whereas I was into stuff like Tremors or Aliens that was different. Mm-hmm. And I kind of feel like I'm the same way with dragons up to the point where when uh, Jesse uh, and I did uh, the first issue of Broken Legacy, our comic book um, friends of the show, Joel, and I guess friend of the show, though I haven't spoken to him in a long time, uh, Jacob Kansas Rhodes, uh, the two of them and I did a backup story for that issue that involved a dragon. Mm-hmm. And Jesse had like designed a dragon, which was not that there's anything wrong with this, a relatively typical looking dragon. And the three of us put our heads together and tried to design something a little different. And the dragon in that story is more of like a, just like a big lizard 
Mm. Like it doesn't look like your typical scary, like pointy faced dragon. It's kind of salamanderish, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I just okay. find that you know within the the realm of dragons, you know, there's tons of fantasy art and all out there that mm-hmm. is just depicts kind of the same old thing. Mm-hmm. So I tend to prefer a more unusual looking dragon. Mm. All right. Yourself? Um, I was thinking as watching these movies, I did have, you know, tried to think answer that question for myself because I knew I was going to ask you. <laughs> okay. Uh, I think I've always, I've always kind of dug dragon stuff. Not like I saw Dragonheart years ago and haven't seen it since. Uh, Reign of Fire, I'm pretty sure I saw in the theater. Mm-hmm. And I own that one. How to Train Your Dragon, saw that in the theater. I own that. Um, not so much as just like I consume all dragon things, but I've never, it's not something I ever shied away with. Even like when I was younger, I used to read a, like a lot of mythology of different, different parts of the world. You know, really? Dragons are pretty prevalent throughout. So that was something that kind of always interested me. Uh, and this too, you might be able to help me with this. It's been a long time since I've read it, but the Umberto Ramos comic Crimson. Oh, yes. I believe is the main villain a dragon or dragons towards the end. Um, it has been a long time since I've read that book. Uh, I can neither confirm nor deny that to be true. Just because I know I'm pretty sure that factors in somewhere because there's that character, St. George, who is an old Catholic saint that fought a dragon. Which is how he like ended up in that story, hmm. but just little. Well, again, as little things throughout, I've kind of always, you know, enjoyed stories with dragons. I like Game of Thrones now. You know, that's certainly uh, sure. You know, a factor there. I'm not like a hard fantasy guy. Like Lord of the Rings isn't my favorite thing. That was going to be my next question. <laughs> well, I enjoy Lord of the Rings. I, I love the Lord of the Rings movies, the three films. Mm-hmm. And um, I like the Hobbit movies. The more I watch them, the more I like the first two Hobbit movies. Okay. I actually haven't watched the third one since the theater just because I'm kind of afraid because I know that one's very contentious. But mm. um, Lord of the Rings films, the the three movies, absolutely love them. Could just rewatch those anytime and just enjoy the shit out of them. Classically, though, myself, also not really a fantasy guy. Yeah. like. Never really sought out fantasy movies and never really read like fantasy books. Like mm-hmm. if I was, you know, like when I went through my big like, oh, I love to read now phase when I was in like middle school and high school. Um, it was largely science fiction and horror more than fantasy. Mm-hmm. My, um, I think a big thing like me, like watching and enjoying Reign of Fire when it came out was because it was like more in my wheelhouse of a post-apocalyptic idea with dragons. Yeah. It almost feels like sci-fi, but with dragons. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of even like my cross-genre thing. I feel like Reign of Fire is a sci-fi movie, and then you got an anima- animated, and the you know Dragon Hearts like the straight adventure. Mm-hmm. So you know you see it pilfered throughout different things. I would, I do. I I just want to quickly say. Lord of the Rings, I enjoyed those movies. I've only seen them once. Really? I think I, I've probably watched the Battle of Helm's Deep from Two Towers like half a dozen times because I <laughs> love that. 
but like flat out watching the three of them front to back, I saw them all in the theater. I think I haven't seen any of them in full since. And I own the special editions and I've watched the behind the scenes and everything, but Mm -hmm. I think just for years I've been telling myself I got to sit down and like watch the extended versions, you know, in a row, like do that undertaking. And I just haven't done it yet. I'm one of those people now, just like, you know, Aliens is my favorite movie of all time. And uh, sometime in the late days of the VHS era, um, Fox put out a collector's edition box set of all four movies and like a fifth tape with like special features on it, Mm -hmm. um, which I feel like was kind of unusual at the time. And the version of Aliens that was in that box set was the special edition with 17 minutes of extra footage, the director's cut. Mm -hmm. And... Um, aside from when I went to the theater to see Aliens on the big screen for the first time a couple of years ago, um, ever since that VHS, I have only watched the uh, the special edition. Oh, no way. And yeah, same thing with Lord of the Rings. Um, you know, I had seen the films a couple of times and never really felt like I was a big enough fan to bother with the extended editions. But when I finally watched them, that's the only versions I will watch now. Um, and not necessarily because they're like better or anything, but it just adds more to the world and the story. Like you get to spend even more time in Middle Earth. And again, while I'm not like the biggest fantasy guy, I just think that those three films are amazing. Like, uh, you know, I would put them up there with like the great trilogies like Indiana Jones, Back to the Future, the original Star Wars trilogy. Mm-hmm. I really feel like they deserve to be right alongside all of those like classic, you know, adventure film mm. trilogies. Yeah, I don't think a lot of people would uh, argue that one. Yeah, I still argue feel like they're, I almost feel like they're t- they're too new for some people to put them alongside those because those are all like eighties and like even into the late seventies classics. But True. that's that's how I feel personally. But uh, makes you know. sense. It's a weird conversation to have nowadays where you have stuff like the Marvel Cinematic Universe where it's like, that's not even a trilogy. Like, there's trilogies within it, but mm-hmm. that almost feels like it's, like, that, in a manner of speaking, should belong right there with those other ones. But something about the fact that all those other ones I mentioned are trilogies until you get into yeah. shit like Kingdom of the Crystal Skull right. um, and, like, the prequels and everything, but... Yeah, because you, you can't even, like, call the Iron Man movies a trilogy, I think, because, like, the event, the first Avengers movie is pretty important to Iron like Man what, 3. what happens in Iron Man 3. But. Mm-hmm. So, good point. Yeah, at some point, <laughs> those aren't even individual franchises. It is one yeah. franchise. But like, by the time you get to Infinity War, like you have to do so much homework <laughs> mm-hmm. to watch that movie and understand what's going on. But, um, you know, never has homework been so fun as watching <laughs> true, the, true. the preceding, like, 19 <laughs> or whatever yeah. Marvel movies. I don't want to do that for every movie franchise out there. Mm-hmm. So it's perfect that it's Marvel because, like, that's a thing I'm invested in that I will put in that time, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's easy for me because I enjoy them all so much. So, exactly. Uh, hey, what do you say we talk about some dragons? <laughs> back to circles, back to dragons always. Let's hit it. <laughs> yeah. So uh, let's go ahead and start off with Dragonheart, released in 1996, as I mentioned. A little damp for fire, isn't it? Why must you knight errants out to make a name for yourselves always pick on us dragons? I don't need a name. 
And I have a collection of my own. Yeah. You're one who kills dragons for money. It's honest enough work. One must earn a living. Oh, yes. One must live. Well, since you seek a profit, we might as well begin. Oh, don't flatter yourself. It's not the profit. It's the pleasure. Perhaps less pleasurable and more costly than you think. So had you seen this one before? I had. Like, I've seen all of these, yes, as I already said. I have seen all of these. Okay. I, I, Like I say, I believe I had as well. I was looking around on my phone a minute ago uh, trying to find another Dragon movie released in the 90s I could have been thinking of, but it has to be Dragonheart. Okay. Um, now that we're getting anyway. into the nitty-gritty here, this mm-hmm. is totally going to be a, a I have no idea what Ryan's going to think this episode kind of <laughs> night. Yeah, well, I didn't know what I was going to think going into this movie either. Um, mm-hmm. And I really went back and forth as I was watching this one, like enjoying it, not enjoying it, enjoying it, not enjoying it. And at the end of the film, I think I came out mostly enjoying it. Mm-hmm. Um, it it has a weird feel to it that I don't even know really how to describe, but it feels like, you know, with a dragon, like a big CG dragon and like it's medieval and everything, but it's before the days of like Lord of the Rings with all the giant CG like uh, armies and everything. Yep. Um, it feels like weirdly small scale, doesn't it? Oh, very much so. Like you have this kingdom with like a half destroyed castle that the the uh, new king played by David Thewlis is rebuilding like over the decade that the movie takes place. Um, and then there's like one little village with like all of the sad souls <laughs> that are like mm-hmm. in the quote unquote kingdom, but that's all you ever see. Like there's no feeling of like a greater world out there aside from a little talk of like other dragons and stuff. But yeah, um, the movie feels very, very small scale in like its own little world, which I don't know. I guess I don't expect that from a fantasy film because generally you think of fantasy and it's like, giant world building and you know mm-hmm. journeys and everything but this all takes place like in the same spot pretty much yeah. for the entire I think, film i think kind of like you said there's a i'm not sure what the the year was where things shifted to you know more cg and more you know uh maybe large scale world building but mm-hmm. yeah back in the 90s it wasn't there yeah and I mean, some things, again, like Lord of the Rings, like if you know anything about Tolkien or if, like me, you don't know anything about him aside from what you've learned in the extensive special features on the extended edition Blu-rays, um, like that was his entire life was basically creating the world that the Lord of the Rings took place in. Mm-hmm. So it feels very like deep and involved yeah. and like a lot of stuff that would be based on fantasy books or whatever would have that as well but this was just uh this was just basically a concept that a special effects guy came up with and then they turned it into a movie mm-hmm. um because the uh the dvd copy that i got from the library of all places um surprise it's like a it's like an old shitty dvd copy with like crappy menus and it just oh, looks yeah. ugly I but it actually watched... had like a 50 minute documentary on it oh. I was going to say, I probably had the same one from the library, but I didn't watch any <laughs> special features. Yeah, I watched some of the uh, the behind the scenes, and basically there's a uh, 
a, he's mainly known for special effects. His name is Patrick Reed Johnson. Um, and he just came up with the idea. His original concept was basically, he called it Butch Cassidy and the Dragon Kid. Because his whole concept was a dragon and a knight, like, working together to con villages out of their gold. Um, so that was, like, the basic premise he had, which is in the movie a little bit. Uh, yeah, I mean, that is that is a factor. Yeah. And then uh, the studio, there was, like, a lot of weird behind-the-scenes stuff with this movie. But basically, they brought in uh, Charles Edward Pogue, who wrote The Fly, and not a whole lot else. Um and he turned it into what it ended up being. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it there isn't some, like, grand history behind this story. Yeah. I think it's kind of... I feel like it was popular at the time, or used to see it around a lot, or I just remember always seeing ads for it, or the trailer, or whatnot. Like, I feel mm-hmm. it was like it was like a popular movie. Yeah, it had a budget of $57 million. And it made 115.2 in the box office, which is pretty good for the time, I think. That's good for the time, absolutely. But if you want to talk about popularity, are you aware of the direct-to-video sequels and prequels to this film? Oh, God, no. Really? (laughs) So I didn't know about this until just recently. Um, Basically, when I was doing research for the show, uh, there are three direct-to-video movies tied to Dragonheart, and there's another one scheduled to come out next year, I think. What? Yeah. Um, And I was actually, just today, as you and I are recording this, I was in Walmart. Uh, I stopped in after work to pick up a few things, and I was strolling through the uh, DVD Blu-ray section, and the newest one was actually on the shelf, (laughs) like, to buy. Please tell me Dennis Quaid is in all of them. No. So so this one came out, the original came out in 96. In the year 2000, you had Dragonheart, A New Beginning, which was a sequel, um, I read a little bit of the synopsis and it's basically about, uh, like in the future of this franchise, uh, Bowman is about to die. The main character that Dennis Quaid plays. And I don't know if they show him in the movie. I couldn't find anyone named Bowman in the cast, or maybe this is just like, you know, they tell the story at the beginning or something, but, uh, he goes to some cave and finds a new egg and it hatches and like a new adventure begins. Mm. Then there's Dragonheart 3, The Sorcerer's Curse from 2015, which is a prequel and stars Ben Kingsley as the voice of Drago the Dragon, as opposed to Draco, who is the one in this, played by Sean Connery. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) And then Dragonheart Battle for the Heartfire from 2017 stars Patrick Stewart as the voice of Drago. What? Yeah. (laughs) So who's keeping this dream alive i don't know but based on the wikipedia page uh there is a big fandom out there for Dragonheart. wow man if sean connor you think he had any idea uh whether or not he had an idea i don't think he gives a shit because he's retired but fair enough (laughs) like you'd think that this you know he is retired this would be an easy gig for him to just do like a voice recording session every three years when they make a new direct-to-video one of these things for a couple extra bucks but yeah. I mean, I guess Patrick Stewart and Ben Kingsley got to work too. That's true. Huh. That kind of blew <laughs> my mind, Mills. Yeah. Interesting stuff. Mil- Millsy, <laughs> give a quick synopsis for the people. Uh basically medieval times, um the king 
is raiding the village of the the peons who live kind of down below the castle th- that we mentioned earlier. Um, and the king ends up dying in battle. And his son, who's like a scrawny little weakling who's being trained to fight by the main character of the film, Dennis Quaid, who works for the king. Um, the king's son runs down to like see if his father's okay and accidentally gets stabbed in the heart. And so, uh, uh, Bo Bowman, Bowen, Bowen, Dennis Quaid's character rushes him back to the castle and the queen is like, there's only one thing that can save him. So they take him to this cave where they see a dragon and the dragon like takes out half of its heart and puts it into, uh, the kid's chest. Uh, the kid's name is Ainon. Ainon? How do you pronounce that? Do you have any idea? Mm, I mean, they, let's go with Ainon. Ainon? Okay. Uh, so then that keeps the kid alive, and then the kid basically turns out to be a sadistic asshole as he gets older and like takes up the throne of the king. And so Dennis Quaid thinks that the dragon purposefully used his heart to like poison the kid. So decides he's going to spend the next decade just hunting and killing dragons to get back at them for ruining this like innocent young boy. Mm-hmm. And then Dennis Quaid has seemingly killed every dragon in the world, except for one who happens to be the one who gave half his heart to the kid and is voiced by Sean Connery. And through a unusual series of events, they become friends and they run around scamming, villages out of their out of their <laughs> gold so the dragon will come in and pretend to attack and then dennis quaid will pretend to slay it and they'll take the money and run mm-hmm. and then uh you know typical climax yeah. <laughs> calamity ensues our favorite yeah not a bad premise for a story i guess no it works um what do you think of dennis quaid's non-accent <laughs> uh he just sounds like dennis quaid <laughs> like growly dennis quaid throughout the whole movie mm-hmm. yeah i found it of all things i found that distracting for some reason gotta be honest i'm not a huge fan of him in this in general like no. he's an actor who i've always felt like why didn't he become like a bigger leading man like a harrison ford or something mm-hmm. um he always seemed like he could have been and then you see something like this where he's the lead and get an idea maybe why. Like, he's good, but he's not great. He, he Does he have it? I don't know. He's got a, he's got a, quite the mullet. He's got that going. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the problem is that he doesn't have it. That's a good way to mm-hmm. put it. Yeah. How about uh, Sean Connery and his CG counterpart, Draco? Well, you know, Sean Connery will always be the man. I think always mm-hmm. been a fan of him. Um, I think it was it's cool for him to do this kind of role. You know, it feels like this movie was probably a big deal at the time mm-hmm. because of the effects. Because I think overall, the effects for the dragon anyway don't look as bad as I thought they were gonna. Mm-hmm. You know, twenty some odd years later, it still looks. You know, clearly 1996 
special effects like overall sheen, but like yeah. I think like a lot of the animation is done pretty well. It's just like that final render, you know, that they just weren't they weren't able to do back then that they do yeah. now. Cause there's like a lot of Draco has like a lot of movement in like the full like when he's talking, there's like full lip movement and everything, you know, like it matches up with the Sean Connery's dialogue. Mm-hmm. It's just it does have like that old that old kind of nineties look, like not quite as bad as not quite as bad as like Reptile from Mortal Kombat. <laughs> but you yeah. Know, you know, it gives you like that was like, like straight up video game graphics. Right. right. <laughs> but it was like that time. Mm-hmm. But I was like, as watching it, I was kind of impressed with the, the overall animation of the character. Mm-hmm. I was like, they put a lot in that. And it was an ILM production at the time. So, yeah. Something that I felt while watching this is the difference between something that I think a lot of people take for granted these days. Um, the, and the proof of this being that Andy Circus doesn't have an Oscar yet mm-hmm. um, is like motion capture versus back then they just had to kind of look at four legged animals Mm. and stuff and then Mm -hmm. kind of make up the animation on their own. Yeah. Because there's times where, I mean, he's a weird creature anyway, where um, like a lot of dragons in cinema, kind of like the ones in reign of fire don't have hands. They just kind of have like bat wings with claws on the end. Yep. But you know, he's got arms with like articulated hands on them and he'll do like hand gestures and stuff. And there's just something kind of weird looking about it. And facial expressions kind of feel too big and disingenuous sometimes, Uh you know, for all intents and purposes could have been a lot worse. Um, I think so. But let me tell you something that might break your heart if you didn't know this already. Mm. Hit it. Did you know that when they started production on this film, Jim Henson's Creature Shop Mm. created the dragon and they had a full size version of the head that was going to act in the movie? I did, in fact, read that, yes. They actually have footage of it in that special feature on the oh. DVD I was talking about. Yeah. And, I mean, it would have been tough, because, you know, you watch something like Labyrinth, and mm-hmm. the puppets don't look real, but that's part of the charm of it. And in this, Draco is supposed to feel like a real physical being, and I honestly think they probably made the right decision going CG just because of the, like, how much more acting they could get out of him and the flying and mm-hmm. everything uh, had to have looked better than it would have otherwise. But I got to tell you, there was, I did have a smile on my face watching the big fake dragon head act mm. in the behind the scenes features. Was the design the same? No, the design was very different. Oh, okay. Uh, feels like when they took it to ILM, uh, Phil Tippett was one of the lead yeah. designers and yeah, he that. basically had his go at it and that's what they went with. I mean, it is a good dragon design, I think. It's yeah, not. again, it's it's kind of like what I was talking about before. It's like typical, mm-hmm. but it's there's nothing wrong with it. It's like t- I think typical to a f- point, except the face not so much because it doesn't have like that elongated snout you usually see. But I think yeah. that's because to help sell the humanize the, the speaking. Yeah, yeah. Because you would you don't get all that like lip movement if it's got some giant long snout and the whole thing. So. Mm-hmm. I can see that was like a you know form uh, function over form kind of decision, but it worked out. Yeah, I, mean, I think it looks good. There's a lot of points in the movie where, just you know, it's a sign of the times, probably. But like, 
there's zero interaction with the the environment around him. Mm-hmm. Or even like Dennis Quaid, like, he, he, you know, there's never like wind blowing near him when Draco's like flying or. Yeah, or like there were some times where the dragon was like interacting with or flying around water. And like mm-hmm. when his head would pop up out of the water, oh, uh, yeah. the water around him did nothing. Right. Or like when he flew over the water, there was no like ripples or anything. Mm-hmm. Definitely yeah. something you notice now that, yeah. you know, you might not have back then. Or even like the swimming underwater, which they show for quite a stretch. Mm-hmm. And there's just nothing. It's just a shadow underneath, which. Yeah. Again, it's just, you know, it's 96. That's what mm-hmm. the best they could do probably since it was ILM. But... Hey, this did get nominated for best visual effects. That That's year. what I mean. Yeah. Like, it's uh, easy to say it now after everything we've seen, but I'm sure yeah. back then it was a, a big deal. Lost to Independence Day, which is, you know. Rightfully so, I yeah. think. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, essentially they were trying to do the physical dragon. And th- while they were making the movie, Jurassic Park came out. And then uh, everybody at the studio all at once was basically like, hey, maybe we should try this. Mm-hmm. And whereas the majority of the dinosaurs in Jurassic Park were physical in some way, shape, or form with like CG stuff done to them, like the eyes and all. Mm-hmm. Um, this was a little different in that the in Draco was a hundred percent CG whenever he was on screen. Right. Yeah. I know it's that's kind of crazy. I didn't even think of that. The difference mm-hmm. in time for the two movies, but yeah, I think Jurassic Park was ninety four. Yeah, ninety three or ninety four. Yeah, but um, <clears throat> I mean, I guess worth mentioning. Uh, I, I can't remember if I said or not, but David Thewlis plays the mm-hmm. uh the lead villain who's again kind of like the you know full of himself scrawny kid like asshole kid at the beginning who grows yeah. up to be David Thewlis with the horrible horrible haircut. <laughs> yeah. Is that um, that's not him playing the younger version though, right? No, that's a yeah, some other f- kid. He looks just like him. Yeah, I know. <laughs> like when he grows up to be him, I was like, "Oh, that makes that makes a lot of sense." <laughs> yeah. It was weird to see David Thulisso because he's not an actor that I'm like totally familiar with. Like, I feel like I only became aware of him a couple of years ago when he was the main villain on I think it was season three of Fargo, and I th- believe that same year was the main villain in Wonder Woman. Mm. And it's like, oh, all of a sudden, this guy is coming out of nowhere and playing the villain and everything. But here he was back in, you know, 20 something years ago. Yeah. He's been (laughs) playing the villain in this. Haunting kids' nightmares for decades. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Dina Meyer plays the female lead. Do you know who she is or what she's from? Come on, (laughs) Millsy. You know, OG Starship Troopers fan for life. (laughs) Yep. True love of uh, Johnny Rico in that film. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, my boy, rest in peace, Pete Postlethwaite. Oh. In this, as oh Gilbert of Glockenspur. Mm-hmm. I was happy um, to see him. God, I love that dude so much. Ah. And it all comes, I think, from me, because I've had an unusual adoration of him for like as long as I can remember. Mm-hmm. But he's in Alien 3, which was a staple of my childhood and uh James and the Giant Peach is the other one that I used to watch a lot oh. when I was younger and I think oh. because of those two movies I've always been a fan of him and love it when he pops up as a character actor yeah. in anything. I'm not I'm not sure like where he pops up on my radar like early on but man I love him in the town. Oh yeah, absolutely. Oh, he's like terrifying in that movie. 
Yeah, he's great in that. And another movie that's kind of early for me that um, I used to really love. Uh, I don't know if I can still say that I do because I haven't seen it in a long time, but the uh, Boz Lerman's Romeo and Juliet, he's in that too. Well, God, I haven't seen that in so long. That's That one's got to be full of a wild cast. Yeah, well, I mean, John Leguizamo, Claire Danes, Leonardo DiCaprio. Like I remember them, but even like the bit actors or mm-hmm. stuff behind the, in the, the backgrounds, I'm sure. But yeah. Just for whatever reason, always loved Pete Postlethwaite. Just find him to be a fascinating mm-hmm. character actor. Yeah, I concur. He's got a very unique face, that guy. Yeah, unique face, unique voice. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I love that dude. Um, <laughs> here's something interesting that I was reading. Oh. Um, so at the time, you know, the studio was anticipating this movie being a big deal. Mm-hmm. So for a little while there, they had Kenneth Branagh attached to direct and star oh. in the movie. Okay. But then they deemed his price too high, so they let him go. Um, Since they filmed in the UK, they tried to tap a couple of uh, British actors, including Gabriel Byrne, Timothy Dalton, and Pierce Brosnan. Uh, I don't mm. know why any of those fell through, but then... Uh, at some point, the movie changed hands. Like it was gonna be one studio, and then it changed to Universal. Um, and when it switched over to Universal, uh, they apparently tried to get Tom Hanks, Kevin Bacon, and Arnold Schwarzenegger for the lead. Jeez. Oh, <laughs> and at some point during production, this is kind of wild considering it ended up being Sean Connery. They considered Whoopi Goldberg for the voice of Draco. <laughs> God, this movie. <laughs> I know. Uh, it's funny how involved the Wikipedia page for this movie is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, there is a fan base out there for this thing. I gotta I gotta do a deep dive on that. <laughs> Jeez. But yeah. Um, like, overall, I just, I guess I wasn't super satisfied with the story. Um. It has like a whimsical nature to it that I find kind of gets in the way of the action adventure storyline. Mm-hmm. Um, just I don't know the whole like the whole concept behind the dragons and they're like intelligent creatures who, if any of them, if any of the other ones were like Draco, they don't like want to hunt and kill people so like how like in a world where the dragons are intelligent and they're not like evil to the core like how why are they villains of the humans and why are they being hunted and everything like stuff like that Um, kind of stuck in my craw (laughs) yeah i agree completely because i thought the same thing i thought you know if a creature could speak the queen's english so well why would they why wouldn't it be more integrated with society or I don't yeah. know like not so much like living in caves and unless it was a case like Smaug in The Hobbit where he like those dragons in that franchise are like these kind of evil greedy creatures who just consider you know humans and dwarves and elves and all to be pests and mm-hmm. like they're just inherently evil but in a movie where the only dragon we ever really get to see to be our basis for knowledge of what dragons are like in the world is Draco, who's like a nice enough, 
Yeah. Well-spoken. <laughs> Well-spoken stoic dragon. Yeah. It's just, I don't know. There's like a, there's a barrier for entry there for me. Mm. And then like all the dragons have been wiped out and mm-hmm. um, I, I, I don't know. It just, there's something about that world that doesn't make a hundred percent sense to me. Yeah. I think just, just the, the talking alone is what this just throws it off for me so much. Not that I hate a dragon that can talk, but that like, just what you're saying, same kind of deal. Like it just feels like thing, things would have gone differently. I don't know in what direction, but yeah, it feels like it. Why bother having them talk if they're just going to be hunted and hiding in caves and, yeah, you know, running from townsfolk. Conversely, you know, that could have been fixed if they had given, taken the time to do a little more backstory and given us some impression of how Draco is different from the other dragons mm. or true, true. something. But by the time we like actually get to meet him, mm-hmm. uh, every other dragon is dead. <laughs> like, I think we mm. watch. Um, Dennis Quaid's character kill the second to last dragon. Yes, correct. Without, like, we don't get to see it speak or anything. It's just he's hunting it down and manages to take it down. And then, yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> Back, you know, part, that's something I didn't really care for. Also, the whole, I'm not crazy about the whole, like, giving up half of his heart and then, like, sharing pain and everything with the... yeah. Shitty prints. Feels like a very convenient plot device. I, I never like that anyways, like any kind of like twins feeling each other's pain or well, any... it's just like E. T., which we watched not yeah. too long ago. True. Yeah, and I don't did I I wasn't a fan and of And I that don't either. think either of us were super crazy about that either, because again, in that instance it didn't even make as much sense as this does, but True. But that just as a as a plot device, I don't care for, I think, ever. Yeah, and there's just silly shit that that opens the door for that, again, I probably am not supposed to be thinking about, but, like, that dragon is fucking huge. Mm-hmm. You're telling me he gave half of his heart to that guy and it fit in his right. chest? And even if, you know, the whole half of my heart thing isn't true and he gave him a piece of his heart or whatever, right. like, Draco can just lift one of the scales on his chest and there's, like, an open cavity where his glowing heart is. Like, yeah, that's weird to me. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's very convenient. Yeah, it's just not a very well-established universe. Right. Um, yeah, I feel like they could have come up with any other. Just just like, even like, say like a dying, not Draco, but another dying dragon. Like, they did the heart transplant. Or, you know, gave a piece of a dying dragon's heart to the prince, and the prince becomes evil from it. It's like, a, and then, you know, years later, Draco just helps Dennis Quaid fight him because he's got a dragon heart, not necessarily his own dragon heart. Well, I mean, the whole thing is to stop the evil, you have to also kill your friend. And like, it's just, like I said, an easy plot sure. device to sure, put them in a position where they have to sacrifice Draco, the last dragon, yeah, who's a nice dude. I think it just would have been, to me, just immediately thinking that'd be more interesting for me is, yeah, sure, give him a dragon heart, but it doesn't have to be Draco. He can still die, you know, or he can still sacrifice for his friend, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, or like, yep. hell, how about you just uh, capture uh, David Thewlis's character, lock him up somewhere, mm-hmm. uh, or like yeah. if you can take the heart 
out of Draco and put it into David Thewlis? Can you not take the heart out of David Thewlis and put it back into Draco? Like, I don't know. Just yeah. too many. <laughs> but, you know, all things considered, this is like a family adventure film. So this not stuff that you should probably think about so hard. But screw that, Milzy. We need a dragon doctor on the payroll. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. So like. I- I don't know. I I enjoyed it overall, but uh, it definitely wasn't like a super strong Mm. viewing experience for me, this one. No, I concur. But, uh, oh, one thing we didn't mention, uh, directed by Rob Cohen. Do you know who that is? Millsy. (laughs) Your friend and mine, director of Fast and Furious. Yeah, director of the original Fast and the Furious. Uh, has quite the uh, the lineup of movies under his belt, actually. He does. Uh, directed the Bruce Lee Dragon, the Bruce Lee oh. story, which I've never seen, but I'd like to. I love that movie. Go ahead. Yeah, that's the movie oh, yeah. that got him the job directing this. Oh, um, I can see it, dude. I'm, dude, that's gonna have to show up on a list somewhere. <laughs> Make it happen. All right. Um, Daylight, the Sylvester Stallone action mm. movie from the like disaster action movie from the '90s, which is a uh, a uh, favorite of mine. I was going to say you're probably your fourth favorite Stallone movie. If I, I mean, guess. when I was younger, it was probably number one or two, like right there alongside Cliffhanger. Because mm. um, I actually didn't see any of the Rocky Rambo movies until I think after I was out of high school somehow. What about Demolition Man? Uh, oh, I you know, always like Demolition Man too. Okay. All but right, Daylight thanks. holds a special place in my heart. For what reason, I couldn't tell you. I've never seen it, so... You haven't seen Daylight? I, it's another one, maybe. <laughs> okay. But I don't remember a thing about it if I did. Well, we'll have to fix that. Cheers. Um He also directed The Skulls, the first triple X movie. Uh, then things start to go downhill a bit. Uh, he directed Stealth, which I've never seen, but I think is generally considered one of the worst like blockbusters of all time. It's pretty bad. It's one uh, of those, like... You know, when a good actor comes off of an Oscar win, which I think was Jamie Foxx for mm. Ray, and that was his next movie, and, yeah. you know, that's what happened. Uh, also directed the third Mummy movie in the Brendan Fraser franchise. I actually never saw that one, but I imagine yeah, it's either. not the best. I doubt um, it. Directed Alex Cross a couple of years ago. Oh. Okay. I didn't see that, but I know what it is. Saw it in the theater, you know, at the time I was still holding out hope that there would be a future in film for Matthew Fox, but not a great film. And then most recently directed Hurricane Heist just last year. (laughs) Okay. Still getting work. Yeah. Although Mm -hmm. lesser and lesser work as time goes on, it seems. Mm. But anyway. uh, They can't all be Fast and the Furious, Millsy. Yeah, they can't all be Dragonheart. Mm -hmm. Um, So are you ready to move on to our second film? Yes, please. Okay, released in 2002, we have Reign of Fire. Rebuilt the National Guard C-5A. Flew it 8,000 miles on two engines and tried to set it down on the old strip outside of Manchester. Lost 122 men and most of my fuel. We need shelter. A place to refit artillery. We'll be out of your hair by 1,800 hours tomorrow. That's a good story. Especially the bit about the plane, but there hasn't been anything in the air for 20 years. That's their territory. That's my territory. That's your territory. They're just renting it. Turn around, Van Zandt. Don't be a fool. 
can do this easy, or we can do it real easy. Yeah, boy. I have no recollection of, like, the time when this came out. I know I didn't see it in theaters, but I know that I saw it on video shortly after it came out. Mm -hmm. And it is a movie, as I mentioned in our intro, that, uh, you know, several years removed from seeing it, I always think it's a movie about dragons coming back and taking over the earth. And it's like post-apocalyptic with Christian Bale and Matthew McConaughey fighting dragons with modern technology. It's got to be better than I remember. And it's not even that I think it's bad. I just think it's kind of forgettable and mm. not that special, even though it sounds like it'd be a great idea. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is the third time I've seen it. Uh, you know, I saw it originally, kind of forgot about it for several years. At some point was like, oh, I got to rewatch that. Did so, forgot about it for several years. And now the trend continues. And I'm sure I'll forget about it again soon. Damn it to hell, Milsey. How do you what what are your feelings on Rain of Fire? I'm a big fan of this movie. Yeah? I always have been. And it's gonna continue. Uh like I said, I saw it in the theater. You know, two thousand two. I was twenty at the time. You know, uh movies throughout the two thousands were a good time for a number of reasons. And I just remember thinking this was like something different. You know, I was I was Big time into post-apocalyptic stuff at the time of all kinds. And I think I just, I kind of always enjoyed it. I never thought it was like the cr- the craziest, best thing ever. But I just mm-hmm. enjoyed it. It was like a fun, a fun movie for me that took itself probably too serious. But I still enjoyed it nonetheless. And I still do. If To me, this feels like a 2000s era like B-movie. Like so many we've seen from the 80s and 90s. I would agree. Um, and I think that's kind of my problem is I want it to be an A picture. Mm-hmm. And Ooh, it never see, feels your, like yeah, it that's gets your problem. There. I mean, yeah. it's got it's got Christian Bale, it's got Matthew McConaughey, like I said, both like before they were like big deals, I mm-hmm. feel. Um, at least the big deals that they are now. Uh and like I watch the movie and it's like, okay premise is you know uh we unearth dragons from beneath the earth by accident when we're like drilling somewhere in like london Mm -hmm. and then over the course of i don't know like 15 years or something 20 years they have raised the surface of the earth and almost all of humanity is dead and there's this backstory about how dragons are like the constant on earth they you know they hibernate for hundreds if not thousands of years and then when the earth has like repopulated itself with new species be it dinosaurs or humanity they come back to the surface they burn everything alive like just anything living be it plants or animals because they feed on ash and then when they've burned the surface of the earth completely and they run out of food then they go back into hibernation mother earth does its thing evolution brings about new species and then they come out again cool idea But even without knowing all that, just the concept of modern day, like fantasy style mythical dragons come and attack the world and create like a post apocalypse where the last bastion of humanity is struggling to survive and save itself. I just, I feel like the movie is too small in scope. 
And mm. I just want more to happen. There's like two and a half encounters with dragons in the whole movie. And the rest of the time, it's just, it feels like, you know, the scene in, uh, like the scenes in Zion in the second two Matrix movies, where yes. it's just everybody's all sweaty and gross and huddled together underground hiding from something. It just, like, imagine, I know that the second two Matrix movies aren't particularly popular, but they at least have, like, cool action scenes and stuff in them. And just imagine if, like, I don't know, 75% of those second two Matrix movies took place in Zion and 25% was, like, the cool action stuff. That's kind of what this feels like to me. It's just such a cool concept and it just feels like, be it budgetary restrictions or what, they didn't capitalize on it enough for me. I would I would say it's 98% budgetary restrictions. Well, the only other thing that I read, there's not, I didn't find a lot of information out there for, uh, about this movie, but uh, according to an interview that I saw, they said that they shot during an outbreak of foot and mouth disease in Europe. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And because of that, quote, many planned sequences could not be filmed due to restrictions. Yeah. So... I mean, that's unfortunate, but man, in my opinion, it affects the movie because I just find it kind of uneventful and like thinking back on it, there's not like a lot of memorable stuff in the movie to me. Mm. Like, like the idea is there and there's some good cast and everything. It's just, Mm -hmm. it's so like, I don't know. It's not like visually stimulating either. And it's supposed to be that like dark post-apocalypse, you know, mm-hmm. everything is just brown and gray. Well, it but, certainly is that, yeah. But it's just like, there's nothing visually incredible about it. I mean, the dragons look pretty good, but they're not in it a whole lot. Yeah. And the movie just basically becomes just a ton of like characters infighting with one another, be it... um the I think his name was Eddie, the guy that has lived with Christian Bale in their their outpost mm-hmm. for however many years and disagrees with the way he's running things. Or Matthew McConaughey comes and he's like the headstrong American who disagrees with Christian Bale. It's just like a lot of humans bickering when out there in the world there's fucking dragons we could be fighting. Mm-hmm. And, and it leaves me, I don't know, disappointed, I feel honestly. Like, you know, there there's a lot of that in Hollywood movies, man, where... You know, that there's that big world, but they don't show you too much, probably for money reasons, I'd say. Or or in this case, foot and mouth disease. <laughs> yeah. But um I don't know what I've, this could have bought you back in two thousand two, but the budget was sixty million. It only did eighty two. Uh-huh. So yeah. Nothing huge. That's for sure. I think I mean, I understand your whole description. I feel like for me, that'd be more fitting if it was just like Christian Bale's camp and then the the dragon stuff. Because for me, the whole thing is like ramped up by the introduction of the American soldiers. So like f- just for me, I like all that part. When they show up, all that infighting, crazy frigging Matthew McConaughey as Van Zant, I think. Is yeah, I like just him. like quirky nuts. Like, like again, a B-movie character that when they show up it's it's no point i'm like damn i'd rather be watching dragons than this because i just think it's like fun and f- kind of funny and just kind of crazy whenever he's on screen mm-hmm. and i just i just personally like that i mean there's some 
some of the parts where you do get the dragons, I just, I don't know, I enjoy. I think the dragons look real good in it, too. Especially the they end do. scene. The end yeah. scene, especially, and I think the beginning, the opening, with the, when the dragon comes, comes crawling up the, uh, like, the shaft in the mine. No, not that. When it's in the current time, when it's at the... The field. The, the field with the garden or whatever. And there's mm-hmm. one point, I think, when it... You see it a couple times, and there's one part where, like, it drops in front of that truck. You know that? Mm-hmm. Like, it's like yep. a quick shot. It's like, you know, it's 2002. It's like a lot of quick shots of this stuff, but there's a lot of scenes I can remember liking, and I haven't watched it in a long time, but yeah, there's these few scenes seeing the dragon that I really enjoyed. I mean, I'll say that they they show a lot more of Draco in, uh, in Dragonheart, mm-hmm. um, so there's, like, a lot more time to, like, you know, nitpick over him. Mm-hmm. And like you said, you see like quick shots of them in this and it's a like a darker movie and there's always like dust and everything. But, uh, you know, they look quite good still, um, yeah. except for that close up shot of the eye looking through the grate yeah, in the elevator shaft. <laughs> that's rough. But, um, yeah, you know, they look good. Um, I just thought of a comparison that I think perfectly explains how I feel about this movie. Um, The Walking Dead. You think to yourself, oh, it's a zombie show. And then 90% of the show is just humans arguing and trying mm-hmm. to survive. And then even when you get a like a fight, it's like, oh, now there's there's a new villain. Oh, it's the governor. It's just a human. Oh, there's a new mm-hmm. villain. Oh, it's just Negan. It's another human. And this is like a world with fucking dragons. And the main villain of the movie is a fucking human guy. I don't know. That's just, that's how I feel about it. Like, and that's why I think I always kind of forget about it and don't revere it all that highly. And then after I've long forgotten about it, I think to myself, I'm missing out. This movie's got to be good. And then I rewatch it and I think I just keep coming to the same conclusion. Mm. Um, It's not like a terrible movie or anything. I just feel like it, uh, I don't know. It just never, I'm just not like in love with it while I'm watching it. Mm. Yeah. I would not say it's like I love it, it's my favorite thing ever, but it's just it felt like the closest thing even like on Triple Threat was like just watching like the Max Ploitation movies. Mm-hmm. To me, this is a different different kind of thing altogether, but just that kind of again, that like B movie feeling of just like lud- ludicrousness. Yeah, I that, get you. But it's almost like if you think about some of those movies, um, like Exterminators of the Year 3000, you know, not a good film uh, by any real standard. Certainly not as, quote unquote, good objectively as a film of of a film as uh, as Reign of Fire is. But like watching that movie for it's like low budget and bad acting. There's like stuntmen flying like cars off of things. And there's like. Mm -hmm just crazy stunts and chases and all. And I feel like there's like, you know, that is a cheap shitty B grade movie for real. Mm -hmm. Um, and I feel like they're watching that movie in the frame of mind of like, I'm watching a shitty B grade movie. There's almost more of that stuff per capita to enjoy in that film. than there is in this like higher quality, like B movie in like spirit but a picture kind of grade movie. Like there's less of that stuff per capita 
to enjoy in Reign of Fire, if that makes sense. That's that's kind of how I feel about it. Is it? Yeah. I mean, it's just man. Like I would love to see this movie with like a different script and like more action. Um, because I think it's a great simple B movie style premise. Mm-hmm. I, I do agree with that point, but yeah, I just <laughs> I I just think that you know it's what it, what it's all about the money. I think they could only do so much with you know you can you can trash all kinds of shitty Australian cars in you know Exterminators of the Year three thousand versus CG dragons. So again, I think I would think differently of it if I didn't enjoy the you know when the soldiers come to town aspect of it. Mm-hmm. And I just really like Matthew McConaughey as a crazy maniac. That's yeah, like, I like those him are like a lot. Big in factors it. for me. I like the premise behind them and like all of their tactics and taking down dragons yeah. with like helicopters and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, while I like Christian Bale a lot in general. Um, I feel like there's not a whole lot to his character that really endears me to him outside of just like your typical, um, you know, post-apocalyptic action yeah. movie hero. Just slightly like angry all the time. Yeah. Or kind of forlorn when he's alone and mm. <laughs> um, well, completely a... forgot Gerard Butler was in this. Yeah. Uh, early for him. Do not believe I would have known who he was at the time. No, me neither. But they do they do share a great Star Wars gag together, I think. Yeah, that's also something like I like that moment <clears throat> where it's like, you know, it's the post apocalypse and they don't have like all the the accommodations that we have now because mm-hmm. the world has been basically burned to ash. Um so like the children just like entertain them, uh Christian Bale and Gerard Butler put on like a little two-man play of Star Wars, The Empire Strikes Back for the kids, and the kids are all like, ooh, ah. And when it's over, they're like, oh, did you come up with that? And Christian Bale's like, of course I did. (laughs) Like, I almost wish there was more of that kind of stuff as well. Because you think about, like, it almost feels like, you know, dragons in the modern day. Awesome idea. And then this movie is set in basically like a post-apocalyptic version of a castle like a remote castle out in the middle of a field, Mm -hmm. which just feels like, you know, you're taking dragons out of medieval times and putting them in modern day. And then you're setting it in a place and a feeling that just makes it feel like a medieval movie. Like it doesn't even really feel like modern day. Does that make sense? Well, yeah, because the the tech aspect of it's gone completely. Yeah. And I mean, you know, you have a car and you have like the little telephone thing that they – communicate with and they have like a sprinkler system that they've built and Mm -hmm. you know it's obviously cobbled together from wreckage of the world that is now gone but it's like it almost just feels like another medieval movie because of the way they decided to set it like if it had been set in like I don't know a town or like a, a city somewhere where they were hiding underground or something that could have even made it a little more interesting like more remnants of a previous time um a little more world building there i think because one of the most interesting parts of the movie is at the end when they fight the dragon like the big mama dragon or the big papa dragon in london 
Mm-hmm. And it's like they're surrounded by skyscrapers and wrecked vehicles and stuff in the streets and like fighting the dragon in that place. Yep. But the rest of the movie, again, it just has that kind of like underground Zion from the Matrix feel mm-hmm. that's not super interesting. I mean, that, that certainly is the setting. But again, for me, I think that's kind of part of them introducing the you know, the American soldiers and they come through with tanks and tech and helicopters and, you know, uh, 3d mapping systems. Like that's like the reintroduction of all that stuff to Christian Bale's people who are, you know, building, building uh, sprinklers by hand. (laughs) Yeah. That's what, I mean, mean, it's just differing opinions because that's what I liked about it was. I just feel like it's another lost opportunity of like, dragons in the modern world and then it never really feels like the modern world which could be the point like because of the dragons we've been reduced to basically living like you know medieval times with no no this and no that Uh, i mean it's certainly presented as it's like the end of days like even with the dragons are on the verge of seems like they're gonna die off soon mm -hmm. you know so that yeah it's it's certainly at the end of the End of the line to mm-hmm. it, maybe to its detriment in your eyes, but yeah, you know, I, I enjoyed it for all that. Yeah. Could have potentially been more interesting if it was like more of a story of the early days of the dragon apocalypse instead right. of like the very end of it potentially. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't, I really don't hate the movie. Um, it just feels to me like a lot of missed opportunities. And if it really is so limited because of fucking foot and mouth disease, <laughs> that's a goddamn shame. Yeah. Because I don't know what imagine? other sequences that they were planning on doing that they couldn't do because of that. But mm-hmm. um, it's just like even sitting now and thinking about the movie that I watched a couple of days ago, it feels like there's like four scenes in the whole movie. Like there's just not a lot to it. No. I mean, there's really not, which I don't think has to be a downside necessarily but once you you watch the movie and then you hear this the backstory about the limitations on filming it really makes you wonder yeah like how much like i wonder how many decisions they had to make on the fly because they certainly they couldn't travel through the countryside or whatever i'll tell you though like in a world where you know everything that we love and hold dear from the past is getting remade and updated and turned into a streaming series on this or that or whatever. And, you know, we end up with stuff like that shitty fucking Robocop remake or, you know, the kingdom of the crystal skull or whatever. Mm -hmm. This is something where I feel like it's a really cool premise that didn't meet its full potential this is the kind of thing that I would love to see someone make like a 10 episode Amazon series mm. or like a new movie based around this premise, but like try something different up the ante a little bit. Maybe um, mm. it just feels to me like, you know, why remake or reboot or sequelize 20 years later, something that, people already love and is really good and you probably won't be able to capture the magic again. Take something like Reign of Fire, which, you know, I'm not trying to put it down that something that you are into, but 
Like most people have probably forgotten this movie even exists. Oh, yeah. oh please. But it's right. a really cool idea that I think deserves better than it got the first oh. time around. I mean, I'll, I'll drink to that, Mills. <laughs> so, yeah, remake this or, you know, update this or turn this into, like I say, a Netflix series or something. But give Millsy more dragons. <laughs> yeah. I'll take them. I'll take some more dragons. Well, I'm just going to start sending you fan art of Van Zant forever. He's easily my favorite part of the movie. <laughs> honestly. Like as he should be. <laughs> him with the You know it's kind of funny to think like in my mind ever since cuz you know I've always known who uh like Matthew McConaughey is and who um ah, his name just fucking slipped my mind from True Detective with him. Um, Woody Harrelson Woody Harrelson like always known those guys they've been around for years but uh, like I feel like I truly like became a fan a fan of them when they were in True Detective mm-hmm. um, and now they are kind of like one unit in my mind the two of them mm-hmm. and it's interesting to me that uh, Matthew McConaughey played a character like this like this militant like American who won't listen to reason, even with the shaved head in this movie. And then yeah. look at the character Woody Harrelson plays in uh, the most recent Planet of the Apes movie. It's almost right. the same character. Mm. That's true. I just find that interesting. interesting. I was thinking about it the whole time watching this because he's got like the bald head and everything. And I will say, um, I think this movie, like, came out at like a big time for Matthew McConaughey because he was actually pretty popular at the time because maybe I think his first like big big movie uh, I'll say maybe Contact but definitely like Ed TV then U571 he was in U571 I have no recollection of that I don't know what the wedding planner is but I think that was a big movie then he was in Frailty and then this so hmm. I think he was like kind of big time at the time, to be honest. Yeah, I think about, I th- I feel like until recent years, like until the last decade, I would have pegged him as more of like a, like a drama or a romantic comedy actor. Mm-hmm. And it's only to me in recent years that he's done stuff like True Detective and Mud and you know, obviously there were one or two things here and there in the past, like his Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie or right. Reign of Fire, but yeah, I um, think he like he's been like steady working, but yeah. I feel like he he cooled off a little, and then True Detective came out. But I so. guess in my mind, even like in the past when he was making like a quote unquote action movie, it was something like that movie Fool's Gold, which is more of like a romantic comedy with action, <laughs> right? Right. Um, but, you know, I long been a fan of Ed TV, which, again, pairs him and Woody Harrelson. Mm. Oh, uh, I'm no, I don't think I've seen Ed TV. Oh, man. Maybe. Ed TV. Good stuff. Came out like the same time as The Truman Show. And it's one of those weird, like, how did those two movies come out at the same time? Oh, I gotcha. But uh, I love both of them. Mm. Rewatched Ed TV not too long ago, maybe a year or two ago, and still loved it just as much as always. Mm, interesting. So going to have to get you to watch that one, too. Oh, find a haven't. third. Yeah. Um, All right. I guess quickly I'll mention, directed by Rob Bowman, who's mostly known for X-Files. He was a producer on X-Files and directed like 30-something episodes of the show and the first X-Files movie. 
Oh, wow. Okay. Um, he's only directed four films. Uh, this, uh, the X-Files movie, Electra, which is a shame. Ooh. And a movie called Airborne from 1993, which is an inline skating movie starring Seth Green and Jack Black. Oh, boy. I need a, I need a pen <laughs> to circle back to that one. Oh, yes. Um, nice, nice. And written by Matt Greenberg, who gave us Halloween H2O. Oh. Tony will be happy. <laughs> yeah. So very good, very good. Anything else to say about Rain of Fire? I'm st- yeah. I I really feel bad that like I shit on the movie, but I just it's it's that thing. I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. Ah, Milsey. It's Dad Milsey. Yeah, I want it to be so much more memorable than it is. But in a movie about dragons, like in the post-apocalypse, mm-hmm. when like the human villain is the best thing about it. I feel like that's a that's a problem. Well, a he's not a million uh, villain, you bastard. I mean, he is but, for uh, yeah, like, I'm, three I quarters of his time in the film. You can't have <laughs> dragons all the time, Mills. <laughs> I want that on a shirt. <laughs> can't have dragons all the time. Insert theme song from the crow. Yes, please. All right, on to our third and final film then. Yes, please. Uh, How to Train Your Dragon, released in 2010. This is Burke. It's 12 days north of Hopeless and a few degrees south of freezing to death. It's located solidly on the meridian of misery. My village. In a word, sturdy. And it's been here for seven generations, but every single building is new. We have fishing, hunting, and a charming view of the sunsets. The only problems are the pests. You see, most places have mice or mosquitoes. We have... Dragons. I feel like you're a big fan of this. I am. I'm a big fan of animation in general. Like, that's kind of never fallen off for me. I mean, at this point, like everyone loves Pixar and, you know, because they put out great movies. But I've always come to find just steady, have always liked a lot of animation that comes out, Pixar or not. And this is certainly one of those movies. I really do enjoy this one. Yeah. Um, For whatever reason, had like no interest in this back when it came out. Saw it on DVD and was surprised how much I liked it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, also didn't see the second one in theaters and watched it on DVD and was surprised how much I liked it. Um, I don't know. The third one's coming out soon, isn't it? It is. I've seen them both in theaters and I will be seeing this one in the theater. Um, maybe I'll see it in the theater. I don't know. Maybe I'll watch it on DVD afterwards and be pleasantly oh, surprised. All right. Fair enough. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, like enjoyed the movie this is one of those movies like i watched it enjoyed it a lot and maybe felt like oh you know it was good how i may never watch that again <laughs> like mm-hmm. not something that i held near and dear and i felt the need to like own on blu-ray or something yeah but uh liked it and you know couldn't have told you much about the story because it had been you know a number of years probably since 2010 since i last saw it um rewatching it now 
in the beginning, I was kind of like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to like this this time around. Um, in the second and third act, comes back around in a big way, and I still really enjoyed it. Oh, good. Um, I would say my biggest issue with this movie, just to start out with the negative, <laughs> mm. um, is, and I don't know if you can fault it for this, because it is an animated movie intended for younger audiences. Um, and it's a good message. It's just a message that I feel like every fucking animated kids movie has is be yourself. Mm. Just, just be you kids and it'll all work out. Just, you know, you're, you're the kids, basically a, uh, hiccup. What is his name? Right. Mm -hmm. He's basically a Disney princess. He is the son of like the king slash leader of their tribe. And he's like scrawny and different. And everybody else has this closed minded view of the world that's wrong. And this kid comes along and just wants to, you know, play to the beat of his own drum and then mm. ends up proving to everybody that he is right. And then the yeah. entire society changes around him mm. and everybody loves him by the end. And, you know, there's a lot of cool stuff in there that's different from other animated movies, but that core thing, again, it's like, I don't know what else you do because it's like an animated kids movie, but it just feels so tired. (laughs) I will say, like already said, I enjoy the hell of this movie. It is like heavy on the tropes, not just that one that you described. And I've noticed that more than anything this time around. Um, maybe, I don't know if I just never noticed or just kind of excused it before because it's a kid's movie, which isn't really a thing, you know, I love to do anyways, but I did notice that quite a bit with this one that it was kind of, that concept felt tired to me this time around. Yeah. The first act of the movie is where they really push it because they're introducing you to the world and like the everybody's view of things and how everything is done and how this kid is yeah. different and like the sec like I said the second and third acts where you get more into the meat of the movie and like the premises that are unique to the movie and like more of the action adventure stuff that's all great I love all that stuff honestly but man that basic it's just it's so done at this yeah. point and you know as time goes on they're just going to do more and more and more and more movies with this same, you know, sure. concept. Right. And the thing is they're made for kids and, you know, kids likely aren't going to pick up on the fact that it's the same thing over and over again. Mm-hmm. But as an adult viewing this stuff, it's just like every fucking one of these movies right. is the same thing to a degree. I, yeah. I will say, uh, I, I love the sequel much more than this one. I even watched that recently just for fun and still yeah. enjoyed it because it, it just ramp it it takes away that whole first act awkwardness. You know, characters have been introduced, time has passed, like the action's bigger, the animation's better, the effects are like just the whole thing. So like I enjoy the sequel that much more for those reasons. Yeah. Uh, watching this, you know, still enjoy it, still love it. I mean, I love a boy and his dog story till the end of time. <laughs> yeah. You know, so, and this is done really well. I I don't know if it was just, it's been a while since I've seen this one. So I might have just been like waiting for the action to come because I felt like it took a while for the story to progress to oh, the climax. Definitely it does. Like, it feels like it dragged even. 
it's like within this movie, you've got all the typical tropes like you were talking about uh, of like a Disney princess kind of movie. And then you've got the boy and his dog like friendship blossoming and montage of him like building apparatus to put on the dragon and everything. Mm -hmm. And then you've got like the whole training montage and learning about the dragons. And then it's almost like the fourth and least important plot line in the movie is uh, we have to go find the nest of like of the right. dragons. Like it's so not important to what's going on most of the time. Yeah. Um. Literally, all it is is the Vikings go out on some ships and come back empty-handed, and then at the end they go out because they know where the place is, mm-hmm. and it just feels like a convenient. Yeah. It's it's like borderline shoehorned in there. Yeah, definitely a hundred percent. Yeah. Um. Not something i necessarily hate about it but no and and i do understand that it's like you know the introduction to this world and uh you have to spend time on that other stuff but uh and i'm i'm not even complaining like about a lack of action because i don't necessarily no. view how to train your dragon as like an action franchise you know you want that big action at the end which it provides but the rest of the time i am primarily happy to just watch you know uh hiccup come into his own and like mm-hmm train his dragon yeah i mean i love all that stuff i think uh toothless is like a great character design and acting and everything i love i love a good training montage Mm -hmm. just the whole dynamic of you know toothless being injured so hiccup has to build that apparatus for him and then makes him confident in himself that whole deal like i do enjoy all that yeah I mean, that's a, there's a lot of stuff to like there. Is it supposed to be insinuated that Toothless's tail got damaged when uh, Hiccup shot him down? Yeah. Okay. I f- do they ever actually like come out and say that, or are you just supposed to assume no, it? No. I think you're just supposed to assume it. I don't know, because when Hiccup first comes into that clearing and sees him, he's like, he picks up like some, I don't know if they're supposed to be scales or something. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's just supposed to say, like, you know, he was hurt in that. And then when he draws the picture of him with only the one flapper, I mean, just because he can't suddenly fly, I feel like. I feel like that has to be the reason, but I feel like they also never explicitly state that. They should have, they should have just showed a mangled tiny wing thing or whatever or something. But yeah. Um, I, you know, I didn't want to say this early in the show when we were talking about dragons and then, you know ruin the surprise or blow my load for this review, but uh, Toothless is exactly what I was talking about in the beginning of the show, about how I, like, for me, a dragon, I like it to be different. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, Toothless looks like no other dragon in a movie ever, and that's sure. because he's primarily designed around, like, a Black Panther with, like, yes. bat wings. Uh-huh. And I love Toothless. I do. Like, I mean, he's obviously got to be my favorite thing about the movie because, in addition to being like a cool looking dragon, mm-hmm. um, in mannerism and pretty much everything aside from being a dragon, he's a cat. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. The way that he acts and like uh-huh. he just just short of purring, he is right. he is a cat. That, yeah, that he shoots, does have the, the cat features even more than a dog. Yeah, that can fly and like shoot fire mm-hmm. out of its mouth, like. I he fucking just, love him. <laughs> he, he, he just like looks awesome. And I think the movie's full of great character designs just from like cool, like Viking touches mm-hmm. down to 
even like the the other dragons some of them I like some of them I don't but they they work for a kids movie mm-hmm. but then you get toothless who I think just looks awesome toothless looks amazing um I love his design even with like the things on the back of his head that kind of resemble ears the mm-hmm. big eyes um just like that big mouth and like the little stumpy fat legs and everything yep. I love just even- Everything the, the, about him. Even the thing with his teeth is like such a great like little mechanic. Mm-hmm. And they do so good, such good job uh, animating him like through his emotions, mm-hmm. which is just another great sign of his character design, how he can look go from angry to cute to playful to all that. Yeah. Like quickly and easily. It's like a, you know, it's just great to watch. It's just fun to watch. Yeah. And I feel like this is the perfect time since we're praising uh, Toothless himself to mention, I don't know how much they had as far as input in like design of things. I feel like I can feel it in Toothless, but um, this movie is co-written and directed by uh, Dean Dubois and Chris Sanders, who made Lilo and Stitch. And more specifically, Chris Sanders. Uh, If you are not familiar with his art, you Dax or anybody listening, look him up. He is a brilliant artist with a style. That's like a hundred percent his own. Like this movie, I feel like you can see it here and there in designs, like specifically toothless. Mm-hmm. Cause he's got a little bit of a stitch vibe to him, but um, the look of the movie Lilo and stitch, like all the oh, like wow. Hawaiian and even just like, the way that the human characters are designed to have that kind of not, you know, generic white guy feel to them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That is a hundred percent Chris Sanders. That is just what his art looks like. And uh-huh. he is an amazing artist and designer. So, Oh, first I've never seen Lilo and stitch. Unfortunately. Really? <laughs> yeah. Two, I'm looking at his stuff right now. and It is awesome. He is unbelievably wow. good and a style all his own i have always loved his stuff from like seeing it before i even knew who he was i mean it it clearly is like lilo and stitch you can see how it yeah came lilo from and him, stitch but... is 100 percent him like his brain like i don't know if he wrote it but like every visual drop of that movie mm-hmm. is him man he is good yeah he's insanely good wow. and wow. Uh, i didn't realize that he made this until earlier today when i was uh like man. looking up information about it for the show man milsey i will be digging over his stuff for quite a while yeah wow um i was actually thinking to myself like i have a sketchbook that i bought from him in san diego at the comic con like 10 years ago or something mm-hmm. um but uh, i gotta look up and see if there's like uh, some Oof. art books out there by him or Seriously. something because i need to add them to my collection i i love his stuff so much man so good but uh so yeah, the, the him and Dean Dubois, who also did Lilo and Stitch, and uh, Dean has also directed the other two Dragon uh, movies, the the sec- the second one and the one that's uh, coming out oh, this okay. year. Cool. Um, they co-wrote the script for this movie with a guy named William Davies, <laughs> who is the guy who wrote Twins. Oh, <laughs> with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, also wrote all three Johnny English movies and as far as animation is concerned, did the, uh, um, uh, what are the, uh, Wallace and Gromit people called? What's their, uh, oh, um, 
I will never remember. <laughs> Whatever their animation studio is, he wrote uh, Flushed Away. Nice. Which I have seen and is a fun movie. And he oh, also cool. did uh, Puss in Boots. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. Um, oh, I'm impressed, man. Yeah. Some good creative minds behind this one. Um, so I guess worth mentioning also at this point, based on a series of children's books by a woman, I hope I'm getting this right, Cressida Cowell which sounds like a Disney movie female villain name, like <laughs> Cruella de Vil or something. But uh, there are currently 16 books in the Dragon, How to Train Your Dragon franchise. Oh, yep, yep. Um, you know, I was too old at the time to really know what the hell they were uh, or to care, you know. Uh, but mm-hmm. then, you know, movie is a perfect opportunity for me to check it out. Um I didn't do a real deep dive, but apparently there are a lot of differences between the movies and the books. But uh, right down to the fact that in the books, um, Toothless is like a common, typical, like run-of-the-mill dragon. And in the movies, he's made out to be like one of this like rare species that nobody ever sees. Oh, yeah. See, I like I like the movie version better already. Yeah. Um, budget on this one, $165 million. Box oh, office wow. four ninety five point eight, so pretty good return on investment. That'll work. And nominated for best animated feature in two thousand ten, but lost to Toy Story three. Oh, well, it's a tough crowd. Yeah, and you know, I love me some Pixar. Uh, I love me some Toy Story, but um, I have always voiced some negative opinions about that third Toy Story movie, and. Mm-hmm. I feel like maybe How to Train Your Dragon could have taken it that year, but mm. whatever. I got you. I, I smell what you're cooking. Um, the visuals of this movie, you know, we talked about um, like the CG in the other two movies. This mm-hmm. one obviously is a little different because it's fully CG, but uh, right. I think that the best looking stuff in this film are the environmental effects like fire and water and smoke and stuff like that. Uh, uh, I would, ag- I would agree actually. Yeah. Watching this. And like I said, watching the second one, like kind of recently too, which looks just a lot better than this one. This mm-hmm. one like does feel like 2010. Like yeah. this is, this looks dated. Yeah. This one definitely has a look that, you know, it's not bad or anything. The designs no. are still great. Yeah. But, um, you definitely can just, you can feels see dated. The, yeah. It, there's the limitations are there. It, Looks great, like everything is animated well, but it's again, it's like that final render, whatever you would call that. Um, yeah, you could see there's even like a, I don't want to say a lack of detail, but maybe I don't know if it's a it's the sheen. I'm not sure what it is, but it just it looks it looks older. Yeah, I mean, it's just an undisputed fact that as time goes on, CG just gets better and better and better and better. And, uh, you know, animated CG movies coming out these days look mind-blowing. Mm-hmm. And this surely did when it came out. But, uh, yeah. you know, it's been almost hold, 10 years. Hold, holds up, but you can you can see the cracks. Yeah. But um, still, voice... Still, still an enjoyable movie, that's for sure. Voice cast in this one. Um, how do you feel about Jay Baruchel as the lead? I dig it. I think it's fine. I mean, it, on the one hand, it, like, sticks out. Yeah. A lot, but maybe I guess that's the point, you know. He's got like a recognizable kind of one of a kind voice. Uh 
I don't know if he's the best voice actor in the world. <laughs> um, I sometimes found his performance a little annoying, which mm. again, maybe you're supposed to. I feel like it fits, for me, it fits the character. Mm-hmm. It does. But yeah, he's more of, you know, I think hired because he was a, you know, more more a famous actor than a famous voice actor. How famous do you think Jay Baruchel is outside of the Dragon movies? Um, well, I think at this when this came out, it was like around like Super Bad and um, Knocked Up. I mean, there was those those like kind of Judd Apatow movies mm-hmm. were bigger back then around this time. I don't. He's certainly not like a household name, but <laughs> yeah, I feel like these movies are his bread and butter now. I'd say so for sure. But um, yeah, pretty decent voice cast. Uh, Gerard Butler, who was in Reign of Fire as well. I didn't realize yeah. that until I looked at the credits. Nice. Yeah. Um, Craig yeah, Ferguson. Great. Yeah, he's good. Uh, uh, I like that character a lot, the blacksmith. Mm-hmm. I think uh, he's a cool uh, design with his interchangeable yeah. hands and everything. Oh yeah. Yeah, I love that. Um, speaking of super bad, Christopher Mintz Plus and Jonah Hill in this as mm-hmm. a couple of the other kids. Yep. I forgot how many big names were in this. Like I'm watching the movie and I thought I recognized Jonah Hill's name, did not or voice did not recognize uh Mintz Plus at all. That's yeah, I was the opposite. That's I picked up McLovin before I picked oh, really? up Jonah Hill. Yeah. And then T.J. Miller, I feel like he's got a very recognizable voice, but I had no idea that Kristen Wiig played his no. sister. It doesn't even. I I looked at that before watching the movie, and the entire time I was still unsure that was her. Yeah, she's such Didn't, a minor character too. Yeah. Um, it's a little surprising, but I mean, I guess this came out. I don't know. She was probably like on SNL and like rising as a star in like films at the time, but yeah. I'd say so. I'm a little surprised that she didn't get like the lead uh, love interest female role that uh, America Ferreira got. Yeah, me too. And then uh, David Tennant as uh, Jonah Hill's character's father, who I don't even really remember in the film. But uh, I don't. I, I, I don't. He was uh, Gerard Butler's like right hand man, but more more so than that character, I remember the blacksmith. <laughs> Yeah, I would say he was the right hand, but yeah, no, yeah, but quite the cast, that's for sure. Yeah, uh, the action at the end looks great. One thing that they do really well in these movies, because again, I don't remember a ton about the second one, but I know they do this again, is the scale, like mm. how fucking gigantic the villain dragons are. <laughs> yeah, because isn't then, there like a huge ice dragon in the second one, if I remember correctly? Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, just like when you see the size of those things, uh, like compared to everything else, it just gives this like wow factor when you're watching it. Yeah, it really does, and it's a and the designs of the dragons all fit together, but you know they they change them up just enough, and then they they kind of crank up the fierceness for the quote unquote villain dragons. Mm-hmm. That I really enjoy. Just like weird shapes of the mouth and like where toothless, you know, he typically doesn't have teeth. But then even when he pops them out, they're like these little round nubbins. But then the villains all have like these long fucking spindly pointy Mm -hmm. teeth. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But they still all work together. Mm -hmm. It's great. Yeah. Um. 
I don't really remember how it works into the second film, but the whole idea of uh, Toothless only really being able to fly now when he's being piloted by uh, Hiccup. Um, mm-hmm. What do you think of that? Um, it works for the story in a in kind of a way that doesn't. I don't know if it. I don't want to say it doesn't make sense otherwise, but kind of. <laughs> That's my thing. Is like, I get what they're doing. Like that is their in for the mm-hmm. only reason that the two characters have an opportunity to bond is because one can't get away from the other, and it's right. kind of like a, uh, what's that fucking like classic fairy tale or whatever about like a lion or a bear with a thorn in its paw and like a mouse pulls it out uh, so the bear leaves it alone or whatever. Yeah. Something. Like <laughs> it's that. something kind of like that. Um, but I'm just like you having watched the second one more recently, like, does it still play in a lot in the second one or is it a kind Uh, of thing where they basically just kind of forget it because it was only important to the story in the first one? It's, it's still like their, their, their partnership is still prevalent. So, but is it like, like obviously in the first movie, like that's a big part of the plot, so they focus on it. But in the second movie, is it still like a focal no. point or no, I don't know. Not not like it is in the first one. Yeah. Um, yeah, like it it's I don't I don't drag it down too hard, but it is like a convenient part of the story for sure. Mm-hmm. In this one. Yeah, it feels like a means to an end, but yeah. um I don't know. It's fine. Mm-hmm. I have no real issues with it. It works. It works, you know. In the yeah. end it works, so um, again, I, like I said, I haven't seen the second one since it first came out on like video, but, uh, since you watched it recently, uh, which do you prefer first or second? Oh, second one. Yeah. Oh yeah. F- far and away. Specifically because it doesn't have all of the tropey stuff uh, that they need to set up the story or. Yeah. And that, like I said, that was something I didn't notice as much until rewatching it this time. Cause I would already have told you I like the second one more just because. Mm-hmm. I like that, you know, they don't have to worry about the setup, the story, you know, the Vikings live with dragons. Like, that's set up from the get-go. You already know the characters. They introduce more, new ones, of course, but there's kind of just more, uh, there's, like, a lot more, like, fantastic visuals, like the stuff you talked about with the the big scale with the, I, the dragon at the end. Like, that's mm-hmm. all ramped up in the second one. The action's ramped up, you know. The heart, kind of everything. And I like it, too, because, you know, uh, Hiccup's older, you know, which is... Grown more, into Jay Baruchel's voice a little bit? A little bit more, yeah. It's just, <laughs> you know, he's his character has evolved. He's got some of his, like, little, like, uh, you know, workshop things he's, like, built and added on to, which is just cool stuff I like. That You know, that big high-flying stuff. It's all just done much more and better in the sequel, I think. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I kind of want to rewatch it now, uh, having yeah, re- th- seen the new one, I think the, the Af- first one again, and knowing yeah. that the new one is coming up. I think you should, bud, because after hearing what you had to say, I think you'll, you'll enjoy it as well. Yeah. And I did enjoy it the first time. I just really don't remember a lot about it. Like, right. don't they, they find uh, his mom is still alive or something? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's find just about all I remember find... is they find yeah. his mom and there's a giant ice dragon. Yeah. There's there's a ton more dragons and there is a like set villain in uh, addition to dragons. 
Gotcha. So y'all have to give that one another poke. Do it. <laughs> All right. Um, anything else to say about how to train your dragon? No, I think we've got it covered. So real quick before we get to the by bar burn segment, we have a little something new that we're going to try out—a new segment for season two. Yeah, we do. Uh, this was your idea. Why don't you uh, fill us in on what it is, what we're doing? All right. Well, you know, this is a podcast about movies. That it is. And p- part of uh, when we came up with this whole idea, we decided that we wanted to just give ourselves some extra work <laughs> and make posters for every episode. That we do. Um, I love making them. I believe you do as well. It's a source of joy and frustration all at the same well, time. Sure. Like any that's, good artistic endeavor. I was going to say, that's that artist's life. So. <laughs> so we never really talk about it before, but I just kind of thought it'd be fun to look over, discuss, compare and contrast, perhaps rate the individual theatrical posters for all the movies we're watching as well. Which I like as an idea. Uh, didn't realize how hard it was going to be to determine which posters were the theatrical versions when I agreed to this. <laughs> yeah. I I was only sure of one of these movies' posters, which was Reign of Fire. Um, oddly enough, it is difficult to find theatrical posters because, especially movies nowadays, there's just so much artwork made. Mm-hmm. And even things like on like my day to day basis when I'm let's just say I'm putting on like kind of a background movie and I'm going like putting on one like one of the digital movies I own. So I'm in iTunes on my Apple TV. All of the images they have for every movie is it's always like some new piece of artwork. Yeah. Or it's not even a good one. It's just like their own covers they make for, uh, you know, to have on Apple TV or something. Same thing will happen like on Letterboxd, like um, uh, Jackie Chan's Police Story mm-hmm. has long been in my like top four movies listed on my page on Letterboxd, and the uh, after the Criterion Collection edition of that movie uh, was announced, somebody was just like, oh, I like this art better, and like changed the art on the movie database, which is where mm. they call their data from, and yep. so now it's the new art, which... You know, I like the new art for the Criterion release, but I feel like I'd kind of prefer in like a database if it was like the original poster that's more synonymous with the movie. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Or at the very least have, you know, a gallery mm-hmm. that you could look through different pieces of artwork. I mean, but that'd be cool. suffice to say, you know, um, some of the movies we talked about this episode are like, you know, a good 20 something years old at this point. Mm-hmm. And um, it's just like looking through a trying to figure out which poster is like the actual original poster. Otherwise, mm-hmm. like, you know, we could talk about like 20 different posters for Dragonheart. Um, and then like in the ex- in the case of Dragonheart, finding a decent res copy of mm. it to actually know what we're talking about. But <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause I don't imagine there's a lot of those hanging up in people's houses. Yeah, like most of the imagery I'm familiar with is like I guess the the box art from like the video home video release where you actually see like the dragon on the cover. Right. Um cuz like Dragonheart, which I guess we we can start with um 
I guess maybe the ad campaign at the time they were trying not to like reveal the full look of the dragon or or didn't have it or something. <laughs> yeah, but the poster is much more what you what would you call it? It's like uh it's conceptual. Yeah. It's basically like a bright light down in one corner with a miscellaneous soldier, you can't tell who it is on horseback. And then just like a bunch of colors in the sky with like a giant wing. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> it doesn't really seem to fit the tone of the movie. Um, doesn't immediately at a glance tell you who's in it or what exactly it's about. Mm-hmm. I mean, you get yeah, the impression just... that it's about a dragon, but I mean, you can assume it's medieval and dragons. So I guess it, it relays that much info. Yeah. And then it says the the little tagline on the poster is you will believe what exactly we're supposed to be believing. I don't know. This is this like a you will believe a man can fly situation or you will believe in dragons, Milsey. OK, They're real. They're here. I didn't know that anybody was doubting the existence of dragons in yeah. the first place. I never know. But uh, I don't know. You know how As those a... flat earthers can be. <laughs> As a piece of art, I don't mind it. Um it feels more like a teaser image than an actual poster to me. And again, I'm not 100% sure. Maybe there was another poster that was like in theaters when the movie was released or something. But as far as I could tell, like all the other imagery I found was from like an actual DVD or VHS box cover or was yeah. like an advertisement for the home video release. Mm-hmm. And I mean, this one has all the credits on it. So I'd, I would be safe to assume that this is the the one. Yeah. But it's just, uh, I don't know, As a, I, I don't think I would walk through the theater and see that and think like, oh, I really want to see that movie, just based on the poster. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, it's more attractive than like the modern like Photoshop montage of faces that we mostly yeah. see these days. Um, it's I mean, a little surprising uh, that they don't have any cast like shown on the poster, though. Which I guess is why it makes it feel more like a teaser to me. Yeah, for sure. But maybe, you know, 20-something years ago or whatever this was, uh, they didn't feel that they had to be so much on the nose about everything. Yeah, you know? maybe. And as, as ridiculous as Dennis Quaid looks in this movie, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing to keep him in shadow. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know. I'd give this like three out of five dragon hearts. Okay, I like it. <laughs> I like that on the cu- off the, f- you know, on the fly uh, rating system. <laughs> um, so you said you were familiar with Reign of Fire. What yes. do you What do you think about this one? I guess give us a description uh, of what it is. And Reign of Fire, it's very orange, <laughs> a yep. lot of red. Uh, you've got London in the background. Uh, what's it? Big Ben and. Uh, the palace of London in the background. And a bunch of dragons flying around, a bunch of helicopters, mm-hmm. which as I'm looking at now are, you know, your standard kind of uh, Apache Gulf War kind of helicopters that do not appear in the movie. <laughs> so that's one thing. Um, this is very like early 2000s Photoshop. Mm-hmm. It's... Uh, it's not great, I don't think. I think it's there's there's no like visual hierarchy here. Yeah. 
It's there's like one dragon that's kind of big up in the corner shooting a flame like right across. There's not like a good focal point though, I feel. That's the thing. Yeah, there isn't. It should be it definitely should have been more just dragon front and center. You could have had this scene in the background like off in a corner. Yeah, definitely. Like yeah. the dragon is so much in shadow that he just kind of fades into that like dark cloud up in yeah. the top corner. Yeah. Um there really is no I mean Oddly enough, it feels like they're trying to make Big Ben the focal point. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess what you get from this poster is that it's, like, if you don't know anything about it, it's a movie about dragons in modern-day London fighting, like, the military, presumably because of the helicopters, which, you know, gets across pretty well what the movie is. But I would still say, like, just kind of like my feeling about the movie where I was, I'm, like, a little disappointed that... It takes place in the modern day, but then the whole thing is like at some shanty out in a field somewhere mm-hmm. that this maybe even misleads a little bit, but sure, especially if you're like you know big into your military hardware, you're gonna be like, <laughs> wait you know where's the where's the uh cavalry of Apache helicopters yeah, um tagline at the top fight fire with fire, not bad for this movie, I guess it's all right, um. What does it say? It also says they're extremely intelligent, highly evolved, and they don't like sharing the planet, <laughs> which is a very like early 2000s kind of tagline, I feel. Sure. <coughs> yeah, pretty unnecessary. It's, re- it's reminiscent of the Alien versus Predator movie tagline of whoever wins, we lose, mm. which is even yeah. more clever than this, but it's very. Uh, what about How to Train Your Dragon? Hmm. This one, I feel like I've never seen before. <laughs> there were two main posters, but the other one, which I feel like is more recognizable, um, every single copy that I found online had some kind of reference to like the DVD coming out. So mm. I'm I'm thinking this one says How to Train Your Dragon 3D on it, which means yep. this must have... It says in theaters, real D3D and IMAX 3D, March right. 26. Yeah. So I have to imagine that this is like an actual theatrical poster. Yeah, if it's the one I'm thinking of that you're talking about, I think that is just the DVD release. It's poster. like... Uh, um, what's his name? Hiccup. Hiccup. It's Hiccup riding on Toothless like towards the camera, and there might be a yeah, couple yeah. other characters as well. Yeah, that's just the DVD release. So no, this is it. I, it's not bad. Um you know, it certainly puts across all the info you kind of need. It's it's odd that it's like the the moon is so prominent because mm-hmm. I don't feel like that's very prevalent in the movie itself. Well, isn't he a knight? Well, he is, but <laughs> as far as like the setting of nighttime with yeah, I don't know. It just seems yeah. You know, it's funny looking at it right after looking at the Rain of Fire poster. If Hiccup were like a fire blast, this would basically be the same layout. Oh, because yeah, <laughs> yeah, like... Toothless is coming from the top left corner, just like the mm-hmm. dragon on the Rain of Fire yeah. poster. Just like Toothless from the neck up, same as the other one. Yeah. Um, and I guess, you know, trying to keep Toothless a little bit, uh, you know, mysterious since, mm-hmm. you know, he hasn't really been introduced yet. And um, not a bad poster for like a, like a, animated like adventure kids film i would expect something much more i guess typical um true i don't mind this but it's not like blowing me away either yeah it doesn't do much for me i would give 
I'd give this one three dragon hearts. I'd probably give. God, I might. <laughs> I might give. I might give one dragon heart to Reign of Fire, and then three dragon hearts to Dragon Heart. And I would say Dragon Heart. The Dragon Heart one is my favorite one. Of yeah. Three. I would agree. Um, just as like a piece of art, the Rain of Fire one, it just there is no focal point. It's just like a bunch of random shit photoshopped together. Yeah. Um, I mean it. It puts across. Uh, you know, it puts across the idea of the movie, but mm-hmm. just not in the most visually pleasing way. Yeah, and as far as how to train your dragon, aside from like the serene, deep blue nighttime feel of it, um. I think that that one honestly gets across the like the tone and the like message of the movie potentially more than the other two. But yes, I would agree. I don't know. I'd probably give How to Train Your Dragon uh, three dragon hearts, and <laughs> also probably one to Rain of Fire as well. Ooh, look at us agreeing on something. <laughs> yeah, we'll agree on all of the art, but none of the movies mm-hmm. <laughs> from right. now on. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I'd say that was moderately successful for our first uh, poster review segment. I concur. Uh, we'll keep trying this out for the foreseeable upcoming episodes and uh, mm-hmm. see how it goes. Very good. All right. Um, so time to buy, borrow, and burn. It is. Let's hit it. All right. Um, well, <laughs> who's going to go first here? Buy, borrow, mm. burn. Do you Do you know your order? I do. I have a sneaking suspicion I know what that order is. I mm. I think I was still working on mine, talking through it, but I think I've got it now. Oh, well, I'll, I'll let you decide. You go first or I'll go first. <clears throat> uh, give me yours. Okay. Well, Millsy, I am going to... Let me see. I'm trying to think of uh, at what point was I sure... <laughs> now I think I had to get through two through all three of them to be sure. Mm-hmm. Burn Dragonheart. Borrow How to Train Your Dragon. Buy Rain of Fire. Oh, that's not what I was expecting. Right. Really? I buy Rain of Fire. I really, you know, I love both How to Train Your Dragon movies, but for a number of reasons. This first one showed some wear and tear this time around to the point where it's like the perfect borrow. Like, not necessarily like I want to rewatch it a bunch of times because for me, that's the sequel. Like I everything I love about the first one, you get more of and better in the sequel. Like if this episode was Dragonheart, How to Train Your Dragon 2 and Reign of Fire, be a different story. (laughs) Yeah. And just, you know, rain of, and it's even like a testament to Triple Threat, but like watching all these weirdo ass movies we've been watching, <laughs> it just made me like really embrace the B movie-ness of Rain of Fire. I, I already own it. That. I already own it, but it feels like one that I know what I'm going to get with How to Train Your Dragon, and I'm going to just always want to watch the sequel instead. Mm-hmm. Whereas I'm not going to get that rain of fire experience anywhere else, and this I like I said I enjoy most of it. So, rain of fire feels like it's primed to get like a special edition release, like collector's edition mm. release from Shout Factory, yeah. Because it's like it's got some 
you know, cachet to it. Mm-hmm. But it is definitely like a forgotten film that I doubt the studio would charge a ton to oh, license. No. Yeah. They'd be like, please make us some money off this damn movie, please. Yeah. And there is definitely room for some like behind the scenes documentary or commentary or something to learn mm-hmm. more about what happened yeah. in the production. Just uh, a comment, a commentary with like McConaughey and Christian Bale now. Yeah. Well, I don't know if they'd, I don't know if they'd get that, but I, I bet they you would, anything but... they could get a commentary from Rob Bowman and yeah. one of the producers or something. Wishful thinking, but that would yeah. be amazing. Hey man, Shout Factory not too long ago put out the Critters, all four movies in a box mm-hmm. set. And I was pleading with them on Twitter to do whatever they had to do to get an interview with Leonardo DiCaprio about Critters uh, 3, but right. alas, didn't happen. Nice. And uh, then um, Dragonheart, not a horrible movie by any means, but I wouldn't even say it's forgettable, but it's just it's got more bad than good for me. Yeah. Uh, definitely not a perfect film. For no. me... Uh, after careful contemplation, I'm going to buy How to Train Your Dragon because I just had the most fun with that one, despite the fact that I did have issues with it. Um, mm-hmm. I melt like butter in Toothless's scaly hand. <laughs> I fucking love that guy so much. He's great. Um... <laughs> <laughs> okay. I heart you, uh, Just... <laughs> Those parts were like they're flying uh, and he's got uh Astrid in his like mm-hmm. in his hand and uh, uh hiccup is on top and he's like, Did you catch her? And mm-hmm. then it's like that upside down shot of Toothless looking down underneath himself and mm-hmm. smiling. Uh stuff like that, man. I, I know if if anything, you could just transport yourself to a world where hiccup is I mean uh where Toothless is uh, regurgitating fish heads for you. Yes. Oh, I would love it <laughs> so much. Mm-hmm. Um, I am going Don't to do it. borrow do it. Dragonheart God damn it, and I'm going to burn Rain of Fire. And like I said earlier, I don't hate Rain of Fire, but like <sighs> Dragonheart, I found to be a more fulfilling experience because despite its flaws, it just, you know, it, it, there, it does feel like there's potentially some missed opportunity there, but it feels like it's all in the writing. And, like, they just chose not to, like, explore the world anymore, and they had their very small story they were telling. Whereas Reign of Fire, I watch it, and I cannot help but feel that something's missing. God, just love it for what's there, will you? I, I Damn it. I do not love what's there, though. I, I think <sighs> that what's there is all, like, the makings of a really great movie. And I just think that it, you know, you got good cast. You got, you know, 60 mil not too bad of a budget. I mean, they had some cool looking dragons, great premise. It's just, it's mm. just not a compelling story to me. It God damn talking Sean Connery dragon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, I, I don't know. Like any given day, if you asked me, like you have to watch either dragon heart or rain of fire, Probably just as many days I would say I, I want to watch Rain of Fire because of the type of movie it is and, you know, there is a little bit of action in it or whatever, whereas Dragonheart is more of just like, a, you know, a frolicking family film. But I honestly think that the experience of watching Dragonheart is more fulfilling to me than Rain of Fire because I just watch Rain of Fire and I feel like there's something missing. 
whatever reason, like if they just, you know, didn't have the scope when they were writing it, or if it was really some kind of budgetary restriction or what, it just feels like a movie that I will eternally forget about, revisit, be disappointed by, and the cycle will continue. I'm sorry. If if Shout Factory puts out that collector's edition with a commentary by Rob Bowman, I will buy it. My heart would be more pained if you hadn't told all of your love for Toothless. (laughs) So, yeah, you know, what are you going to do? This is the way the pendulum swings here at Triple Threat. Yeah. Pain or joy. (laughs) <laughs> Another thing that I've neglected to mention before about Reign of Fire is, you know, we were talking just a minute ago about how the whole, uh, like, Toothless being injured and then, like, building a contraption and relying on a human to be able to fly. Almost as though he, like, forgot how to fly, which is mm-hmm. a little weird. Being, like, a plot device. Um Something sits a little funny with me about the whole concept of the dragons having a life cycle that's like fish, where there's only one male who like inseminates like all the hundreds of females or whatever. Mm-hmm. And like it ju- it also feels like a really convenient plot device to the extent of like, you know how there's movies about like hive minds, like even as much as I love the faculty, this is an example of it where it's like there's just an army of these villains or, or a perfect example is uh, I think it works this way in um, age of Ultron where it's like just an army of villains. And then if you take out the head one, then all the other ones just like fall away. And it's well, like, Ul- oh, Ultron was a little different, but yeah, close enough. The faculty is a better example. Like mm-hmm. it feels like, Oh, all these people are infected by these like alien space worm things. Like even if we kill the, the queen, like how will we stop the rest? But you don't have to worry about it because it's a complete convenient plot device that when you kill the leader, all the Mm -hmm. other ones just die off and everything's fine. And it feels like that in this, like the dragons don't, the female dragons don't literally die off, but it's like, all we have to do is stop the one and then we're good. And it just feels like that always sits funny with me. Like even in the faculty, I don't love that. I think the hive mind is much more cheap than this. But it's the same basic thing. Um, well, like, like again, they, they don't like drop dead when the, the big daddy dragon is killed, but it, they basically insinuate once he's dead, then we're in the clear. Like the, we just have to like hunt down and kill off the rest, but there's no worry about them. Like, you know, breeding more. And it just, it, again, it feels convenient. That's that, those two things are different enough for me, but. Sure, there is a level of convenience there, absolutely. Yeah, something, just another thing that in the moment when they're, like, comparing them to fish and, like, fish eggs and shit, I'm like, no, I don't know if I like this. (laughs) I will say, you know, how much I like the movie, that, you know, they added, like, a lot of science to it, I guess, The you know, the whole background, because I wasn't even crazy about them saying, like, they wiped out the dinosaurs and all that. I thought that was a neat idea. Um, I'm like, I, I I go back and forth with that. Yeah. But like, that's almost like the, just an over explanation of anything. Yeah. I'll, I'll usually uh, go for not doing that, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To the, my point about like the hive mind and everything, like a great comparison because they're kind of the same movie 
is John Carpenter's The Thing and The Faculty. And like in The Faculty, like imagine if like the whole thing in John Carpenter's The Thing, no pun intended, is that every one of its cells is a unique creature. And the reason that they have to stop it in Antarctica is if it makes it to the mainland, there is no stopping it. And it's like this end of the world scenario and it feels dire. And Mm -hmm. then, you know, the faculty is basically a knockoff of John Carpenter's The Thing, but for the high school set. And in that one, you know, it's in a populated area in middle America. Like if they didn't write in that cheap out of if we kill the queen then all the other ones die off then it's like hopeless and it it's like we dug ourselves too deep of a hole that's why it's brilliant that the thing is set in antarctica where there's only x number of people that this thing can get its hands on because it keeps you from having to write like a convenient out and then in something like the faculty or in um Rain of Fire, it feels like if you don't write yourself a convenient out, then it's just hopeless, and what's even the point of fighting? Does that make sense? Sure. Because if there were just as many males as females, and their worry was they just keep on breeding, then there'd be no fucking way to stop them Right. in Rain of Fire. So it just feels like a convenient writing thing that, you know, yeah. knocks for, a little bit off of it for me. For me, I mean, in my mind, it's just when you got the hive mind thing, Everything dies immediately versus like knowing that they can't procreate and make more dragons doesn't make a dragon. And I'm not trying to say that those two things are the same exact thing. That's just like a kind of comparison. Just like forgetting the hive mind thing entirely. Just the fact that there's an easy out written into the script where we kill one and we're good. Just feels feels. It is like the really the basis for the whole movie, though. Think about it. Yeah, but they don't introduce it until like almost the end <laughs> like well, i think mid, it's like mid nigh on the third act before they they reveal that information wow because even after mcconaughey and his people show up he keeps a secret like what they're doing yeah. and why they're there for a long time and then all of a sudden maybe at the end of the second act they introduce the concept of there's one that we have to kill yeah but at least well that's what got them there so it's still not to me it's just not that yeah like a cheap of a thing if that's the whole reason they showed up there. Even if you don't find it out till nearly the third act, it's still the driving force of the second act. Feels oh. a little cheap to me. I don't think. Regardless. Um, Regardless. <laughs> we've already done by borrow burn. We probably shouldn't mm. even be debating this anymore. <laughs> um, why don't you uh, fire us up the random number oh, generator and let's... Yes, Get back in the business of finding out what we're watching next. All right, let's see here. There are, I believe, 180 mm-hmm. potential We've had some trios. Some recent new additions. Mm-hmm. And, Ilzy, we have 107. Hmm. All right, 107. Theme for next episode is Shout at the Devil. Hmm. All right. Your second favorite Motley Crue song. Couldn't have told you that that was a Motley Crue song if you had a gun at my head. Or even if you had a gun at Toothless's head, I couldn't have told you. (laughs) Millsy, that's your best friend. I know. I couldn't have done it. (laughs) But, uh, yeah. So, So, hey, that's a good one. I feel like that could mean a lot of things, so... 
It could. 107 is... Man, we were, like, cooking with gas at that point, too. I mean, the whole time. But, you know, we were... uh, That's a good one. Is that a Millsy episode? Yeah, that was... This trio was my concoction. Mm -hmm. Very good. Very good. So... All right, man. Well, I'm ready for it. Cool. Um, I may be wrong, but this like type of theme mm-hmm. could be the first time we've done one like this. Mm-hmm. Like the link it, between the three movies. It is, in fact. Yeah, I don't think we've done one like this before. Nope. I've come up with a nice. couple of these, and I even mm-hmm. question whether or not it was a good idea. <laughs> but... <laughs> Uh yeah, it should be interesting for sure. Uh-huh. Hey, that's what we're that's what we're looking for here, right? Yeah, absolutely. All right, perfect. All right. Well, uh that's going to be it for episode 13 of Triple Threat Theater. Can you believe we're already at 13 episodes? Um I can, but yeah, I think we're we're uh moving along smoothly. So <laughs> it still feels like we just started this show like just yesterday. Uh, it it does on the one hand, and then earlier when I looked at our spreadsheet and w- what the creation date on that was, kind of blew my mind. So, <laughs> well, the show was in the planning process for like three years before first the first episode came out, and like we were actively working on the show for about a year before yeah. the first episode came uh-huh. out. So, wow, we're doing our look best to stay ahead of the game here. Yeah, look look at us putting in the work. Yeah. So, all right. Well. Uh, Until episode 14 of Triple Threat Theater, which should come out in about three weeks, my name is Ryan Miller. And I am Joe Daxberger. Thanks for watching. That was one of the finest movies I've ever seen. They ought to make them all like that. None of this nonsense about social matters. People don't go to the movies to see how miserable the world is. They go there to eat popcorn and be happy. Be happy, happy, happy.